and welcome to The Gray Area, where I dispense advice and give interviews on relationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 36th episode in a weekly series called Review and Preview. Last week's episode was a discussion with Michael Sr., Trick, and Eeg from the Guild ROTT. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, September 26th, and today I speak with Tinzian, and we will review Deus Ex, Transmogrification in World of Warcraft, talk about the new Lord of the Rings expansion, and also talk about some future guests. Before we do the review, let's talk about news of the week. The Witcher 2 version 2.0 comes out the 29th of September. Uh, it's a few days away. It has extra story content as well as the 2.0 enhancements, dark mode arena, a new tutorial, and a new four-minute opening cinematic. The Witcher 2 is already out on PC, but the 2.0 patch will be available September 29th. And Dominion is out today. Uh, the description for Dominion is... You'll step onto the battlefield to face off against your opponents on the Crystal Scar in a new game of the MOBA genre from Riot Games. Get ready to capture, defend, and dominate your enemies in this brand new game mode of League of Legends. And it said that uh, this, the difference here is the summoners do battle on a brand new map, which is called the Crystal Scar, and they vie for control over five capture points, a style of play never before attempted in the League of Legends universe. Not to be confused with the board game Dominion. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I've never played the League of Legends. I just keep hearing that if you're good at organizational skills and you can keep yourself in a good lane, then you can pretty much... Uh play away, but um, those who arrive first to the game uh, definitely have an advantage over people who arrive later. Ah, see, it's not really my style of play. Like, it reminds me more of a, a Warcraft, uh, like old school, you know, you try to kind of dominate the map with your, uh, you know, you have to have your harvest points of timber and natural resources and stuff like that. It kind of reminds me of that sort of game. Um, the reason I actually picked up on that is because a friend of mine have been, has been asking me about the Dominion board game. And so the name's kind of in my mind a lot lately. And uh, when I saw mm. that this had just come out today, I thought, hey, I wonder if that's the same thing. But it is not. That one came out in 2008. So very different game. But still, uh, if you like that sort of genre, it looks pretty neat. Mm. Yeah. There's a new game out, which I did want to discuss a little bit. Um, it's kind of uh, revolutionary in some ways, and and uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Uh, let me read a, a little bit of what the article says about this game. Um, this past summer, a group of interns from Singapore were led by project owner Todd Harper in the creation of a game that aims to tackle sexuality and identity issues. The goal was incorporating LGBTQ content in an innovative and effective way, eschewing the often heavy-handed after-school special-style approach that serious games have taken in the past. And they came up with this game called A Closed World, which is RPG-style game. The protagonist is... It's difficult to tell if it's a girl or a guy, so androgynous, I guess okay. you'd call it. 
Right. And this person is separated from its, I'm going to call it because I don't know, his, her sweetheart because of the norms of that character's hometown. And you get to be that character and kind of search for this better way of life. And you have to confront your family and friends' attitudes and expectations and actual demons using a weapon. But the weapon is logic, passion, and ethics. And so... In some ways, I don't know enough about this game to say if it would be interesting, because it doesn't seem like it would be a fun thing to do when you know you're going to be persecuted throughout the entire game if there are not some awesome relationships involved in this. That'd be kind of like watching Schindler's List every day without the actual beauty of the relationships in Schindler's List. I mean, it'd be like bashing your head against the wall. You know, maybe this relationship that, that your protagonist had at the beginning, you have maybe a chance to play that out a little bit more before you get into the game. I'm not sure... Like how they're going to make this work in a way that makes you want to play the game through because you know you're going to get attacked a lot and it's not going to be fun. What's well, I, I don't know if it's, if it's like a sandbox game or um, style thing, but the, the nice part about the RPGs, or at least most computer games, uh, sandboxes aside, if, if you have a standard game structure, you're going to have sort of a, a winning and or losing in terms of, you know, you fight the RPG stuff. But in a way, this sort of strikes me back to um, when I was in junior high, we used to have games at school that we could play. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to make fun of the game, but uh, so just bear with me. We had stuff like, you know, a, a hot dog simulator where you would try and get, uh, you know, to try and predict um, how much food to have for a particular game day or one of those sorts of simulators. And I'm wondering if this is just supposed to be an RPG where they're taking it maybe in the Witcher style where the, the Witcher is fine with sexuality. It sort of embraces that. Or is this not supposed to be an RPG and it's a straight simulator, or is it a sandbox where maybe, yes, you're going to be persecuted, but if you work at it enough, just sort of maybe in the real life, you know, you can get further ahead than just not doing anything. So I wonder if it's just trying to get people to even just to think, and that's moving moving ahead and you sort of won at that point. I'm curious enough that I think I'm going to look this up <laughs> so we can get a resolution like right now as we're talking. And okay. what I'm seeing on Gambit, uh, which is a website talking about this, says the premise is, have you ever been so frustrated and fed up where you are that you just want to throw it all away and run off somewhere new? And you're playing this young person. You are destroying hungering demons and a beast that would destroy the village and the forest is forbidden, so you're not supposed to go in there. But I guess your beloved goes into the forest, and you're going to go after them and and risk, you know, going through this this scary forest. So the difference between this game and the reason I kind of highlighted it is the LGBTQ content, which is kind of unusual. Um, in a lot of games like Mass Effect, um, you can kind of go either direction. It's not the basis of the game per se, but they're being a lot more open about sexuality. And I think that's kind of where things are headed in the future. Some people have. Um, a lot of problems with that and the Dragon Age was a real a lot of people had a lot of difficulty with some of those relationship aspects and this is supposed to be, they call it friendly content rather than feeling like it's tacked on at the end so I guess that and, and I'm quoting 
The project left the ultimate message of the game open to the creators. What was important to discover were the challenges the team faced trying to include queer content in the game and the strategies they used to tell the story they wanted to tell. The result is the game that asks us to carefully consider what we think of as normal and what is needed to live in the world and be true to oneself. So that sounds a lot more interesting than how I portrayed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. I so, sounds quite like a sandbox or something they could easily translate to, you know, a, a wider range of issues and topics. You know, if, if, if they're not force feeding a particular, uh, oh, what's the term? If they're, if they're not, if the game designers aren't trying to run this game on rails where, you know, you can't go off and explore, then, you know, it, it could be really interesting. Good. Um, I think so too. You can actually play it now online. Uh, it's Gambit, the website where you can go, and that has a link to it right now, and I will put that in the show notes if you want to play. Um, it looks kind of like an animated style so far, the little bits I've seen, and uh, be interested like a, to see feedback for that. Is it like a 2D scroller, or is it a actual first person? Or Yeah, it's a 2D scroller, kind of simple graphics. Yeah, pretty simple, kind of like... Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, like every other 2D scroller you've ever played, I guess. It looks a lot like A Valley Without Wind, which I also should mention I started playing today, the beta for. Um, I got my beta key. How how have you liked the beta? It was as I expected it graphically, which um, for an indie game, I was impressed. Uh, I like the power choices. I like the crafting options and some of the other stuff. But the interface, uh, I felt... I felt like I was supposed to have read something beforehand, and I'm not a really big person for directions. Like, I don't sit down and read the manual necessarily. I think I'm good enough as an engineer to be able to take a look at a set of shelves and put it together for the most part. Um, I'll glance at it if I get stuck. And I felt like with this game, um, you should probably sit down and read how to work the character because they had little kind of tips at the top. And it took me 15 minutes to get out of the starting area because I couldn't understand when they kept saying, you know, you have to, to to read 15 tips before you can get out of the area. I wasn't understanding like what they were trying to have me do. So I have sometimes difficult to understand the directions in those games. But once I got out of there and I was wandering around the map, I understood the map well. I understood how to get in and out of the map to the 2D part. Um, I still don't really understand the point of what I'm after other than to kill the aliens and the um, skeletons. I'm, I'm looking for people thinking that I'm trying to reestablish this world and rebuild it, and I'm trying to find people, and that's what I keep looking for. But, um, again, I've only played it for, like, 15 minutes, so I can't really give you an accurate assessment. What do you think? I haven't played it yet. I've, I got the email this morning when I was on my way to work uh, from the developer who's actually fairly quick to respond to uh, emails. And uh, there's a there's a big section in the the press release email, um, you know, where he's urging people to look at the um, direction links that he's got on there. So I'm wondering if this is a known issue that it's it's not perhaps a pick up and play game like uh, another developer may have, because I believe AI Wars um, had the same issue. It's had the same similar. issue where it's you know you have to sort of know the minutia going in and then you know, match the, oh, this is your, you know, this type of unit or that type of unit. So I think maybe this developer is just very reliant on uh, the written word versus initial gameplay. Like, I, I didn't read the instructions for Mass Effect, but I could pick up Mass Effect pretty quickly. 
Yes, it was very intuitive, I felt. And and not necessarily, these games are not necessarily like that. I think you're right. I think it, it's very much, you should read the basics before you go into it, um, rather than just kind of stumble around and, and try to figure it out. But I really love Arkin as a company. Uh, I think they have a really good attitude, and and they've already put out, like, patches for this. I mean, it's only, like, mm-hmm. day one release. So... I'm looking forward to it and playing some more and seeing where I can go and and what what I should do with my character. Probably won't ha- I probably won't have the chance to play w- with it until this weekend, but um, you know it, it's exciting to see a lot more indie developers coming out and actually standing up and through Twitter and other means being able to reach out to people. Very much. Well, we will review that later on uh, when we've played a little bit more together, possibly. We have another game to talk about. Uh, earlier this month, Electronic Arts announced that its 2007 PC exclusive game, Crisis, pretty popular, was going to be put through Xbox, the Live Arcade, and the PS Network um, sometime in October. And now they've actually said that it's going to be sooner than October. They will make the console downloadable next week uh, on October 4th. So, not sooner than October, but at the beginning of October, at least. Um, and when it arrives, Crisis will only feature the original game's single-player campaign, but the campaign's being remastered for the console release with new lighting effects, optimized controls, and stereoscopic 3D support. I'm actually sort of very worried about this because um, Crisis and Crisis 2, well, less Crisis 2 because they learned from Crisis 1, was even on a high-end PC, a, P- a PC killer. You could have dual graphics cards in line and this thing would still bring you know your system to the to its knees so for them to re-optimize it for a 360 really makes me worried that there's going to be a drop in quality because that game has features a lot of wide open spaces versus a cityscape where they can kind of hem all the graphics into you know the canal uh, sorry the canyon of a city this has got wide open jungle areas you can see for you know pretty much miles around. It's I'm I'm wondering if it's going to be sort of like wow where you can have your view distance set to fair and you only see about five feet away from you. <laughs> yes, long distance uh, things are very blurry. Possible. Does it matter? I mean, this is this is more of a shooter game, right? So it kind of matters if you see things clearly in distance. It's a uh, it's a shooter game, but it also allows the sniper feature. So for the ability to go in and pick things off at a distance, you need to be able to see things because it's it's not so much a run and gun in with your biggest baddest firearm. Well, for some people, they can play it that way. For those of us who like the sneaky other methods, we can you know, pick things off with sniper rifles and go on a merry game of hide-and-go-seek with the aliens, but, you know, you're just going to basically make it another straight shooter at that point. Well, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, But for $20 on the PS, it's not too bad an investment. I'm waiting to hear back something online from the company Turbine, who does Lord of the Rings Online, there is an unconfirmed report where people are having a problem reporting gold spammers, and the person who reports the gold spammer ends up getting banned themselves. And another looking into this, there's been some chatter on the forums about it, a couple people saying that they had reported gold spammers and then gotten banned themselves and are still banned at this point. So waiting to see uh, what's going on with that. 
Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about Lord of the Rings Online, but before I do that, let's uh, finish up our news with Tech Talk from our friend Alan uh, to tell us what's new in tech this week. Welcome to an episode of Tech Talk, a segment on the Great Area Podcast. This is Alan, your segment host. As usual, I'd like to thank my good friend, Genesee Gray, for allowing me to be here on the Gray Area. This week on Tech Talk, I'll be talking about new security threats that Mac OS X is facing and other events that happened in the world of tech recently. Tech Talk and News of the Week. This week in tech, Apple's operating system, OS X, might be becoming a bigger target for malware writers. Two new threats have emerged last week and this week. The first, named Trojan Dropper OS X Revere.A, is a Trojan disguised as a PDF file. When opened, the file looks harmless and opens several pages containing Chinese writing. However, the malware itself is silently dropped into the background when the file is opened. The second threat, also known as LS10Flashback.A, masquerades as an installer for Adobe's Flash Player. It seems to be making its way around by tricking users to click on a malicious link or an icon on a web page. An unknowing user wanting to download Flash will click on the link or icon and download the installer thinking it's legit and directly from Adobe, but this is not the case. Once the installer is run, the malware will silently slip itself into the background, phone home to a remote server on the internet, and send information back about the infected system, and automatically inject code into programs started by the user. The good news is that these two are social engineering attacks, and they both rely on the user to initiate them, instead of being done automatically without user intervention via an exploit. Besides that, the best practices to protect yourself as a computer user still apply here. Don't run suspicious executables from shady sources. Always install updates that Apple provides for OS X, QuickTime, Safari, etc. Do not run under an administrative user account or context unless you absolutely need access to a system resource or function. Run behind a firewall, and so forth and so on. And here is also what happened to tech this past week. The FCC's new Internet rules have been published in the Federal Register last Friday, and they will be taking effect on November 20th of this year. Electronic Arts has recently revised its TOS for its origin platform. The new agreement waives a lot of your rights to sue EA, although not everything is affected, such as the ability to bring EA to a small claims court. Researchers at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, aka Berkeley Lab, have found a way to expand the capacity of lithium-ion batteries by as much as an eight-fold increase. Microsoft revealed more about Windows 8 on its engineering blog, including new security improvements via improved ASLR, new integrity checks with heap allocations, and a secure boot path to help protect the kernel from being hijacked during system startup. And finally, Blizzard has said that its anticipated title, Diablo 3, will be pushed back to 2012. It looks like my time is up for Tech Talk this week. Back to you, Genesee. A thank you to Alan for Tech Talk, and let's go back to Lord of the Rings Online. Uh, hopefully, in the next couple weeks here, I will be talking to Turbine's representative, Sapience, will be coming on to talk about the expansion that is coming out this week on the 27th of September. Um, it is called The Rise of Isengard. It has three new regions, Dunland, the Gap of Rohan, and Isengard itself. And your level is now raised to 75, and you get a new legendary uh, raid for 24 players. And the raid is you battle the evil of Dragoth, one of the most powerful creatures in Middle-earth, and prepare for the ultimate challenge where nothing less than the strength of an entire force of 24 heroes stands the chance of victory. 
And Isengard, if you know anything about the Lord of the Rings online or any lore of Lord of the Rings, um, ancient forests once flourished, corrupted waste of metal and wheel suffers under the thrall of the traitorous wizard Saruman. Here in the shadows of the Tower of Orthanc gathers an army of orcs and Urukai, tolling to make ready for war. Forge ahead into these devastated lands and uncover new quests, skills, and traits as you strive to thwart Saruman's ambition. So that comes out uh, tomorrow, actually, and I want to talk to Sapiens all about that and get some more information on uh, what that's like, so I'm looking forward to that. Two of the big things that really attracted me to uh, consider getting the expansion, uh, you and I have played very briefly at the lower levels, I think, where you've got characters that are about level... 12 mm-hmm. um, was one the price point for the expansion is really nice um, they offered a series of uh, kits you know the basic the legendary version and then there's another one and mostly you got a special horse or two horses or three horses depending on your uh, purchase and capes and stuff but the the price for the expansion was actually pretty good the other part that uh, was interesting to me is that they're trying some new, what, from what it sounds like from the other podcasts for that are dedicated to Lord of the Rings Online, is that they're trying some new technology in this one to give a distance effect of large population features to the area about the Tower of Saruman like you see in the movies. And really has a lot of people excited. Hmm. That's neat. It's already pretty nice visually, um, Lord of the Rings Online. Mm-hmm. I had fun the little bit that we played. You know, I, I would look forward to playing this, possibly, but at this point, I feel like uh, we're kind of maybe like, at least I am a one-person MMO, perhaps. And <laughs> uh, when, when my zeal for <laughs> World of Warcraft fades, I may turn back and look for other ones right now, but but yes, definitely on my list of things to play. So excited about that. And since we are talking about Lord of the Rings Online, I have a new segment that I am proud to premiere called The Journeyman Cook. It is by Michael Senior, uh, and it's about consumables. And the cool thing he does in this segment, I think, is that these are actual recipes that you can make. And uh, this one is a mouth-watering bread featuring a Lord of the Rings Online theme. So let's hear from Michael Senior and The Journeyman Cook. Hello and welcome to The Journeyman Cook. I am a chef that will cover consumables through many MMOs, and I will also include the recipe of how to make those consumables in your own kitchen. Thank you for joining me on my first segment of The Journeyman Cook. This week we will be looking at Lord of the Rings Online and barley bread. The recipe for barley bread can be purchased by Tully Hopwood in the Bree Town Hunting Lodge. You need to have the apprentice cook crafting ability and in friend standing with the man of Bree. The ingredients are one cup of spring barley flour, one bottle of water, and one chicken egg. If you use a sprig of allspice, you have a critical chance of 5%, which will yield you two loaves instead of one. To make barley bread in your own kitchen, you will need three cups of barley flour, one teaspoon of salt, two tablespoons of baking powder, 
two and a half tablespoons of honey, a quarter cup of vegetable oil plus a little extra, two eggs, and one cup of whole milk. Preheat the oven to 350 degrees and lightly grease a 9-inch cast iron skillet with some vegetable oil and place in the oven while preheating. You might wonder why I call for a cast iron skillet. It gives you the perfect crust. If you don't have a cast iron skillet, then grease an 8-inch square pan and set aside, but not in the oven. In a medium bowl, combine the flour, salt, and baking powder. Mix thoroughly. In a separate smaller bowl, using an electric mixer set on medium to low speed, mix together the honey, quarter cup of oil, eggs, and milk. Slowly add the egg mixture to the flour mixture until everything is just moistened. Pour the batter into the cast iron skillet or prepared pan and bake 30 to 40 minutes or until a toothpick inserted in the center comes out clean. Enjoy! Thank you for listening to The Journeyman Cook. If you have any suggestions, please email me at thejourneymancook at gmail.com. You can also check out this and my other food and drink segments from other podcasts at thewanderingchef.weebly.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Michael Sr. And also know that I'm thinking I might want to try making that recipe this week. And if any of the listeners want to make it, um, I'd be interested to know how it tastes, because that's pretty cool. So before the segment, uh, we were talking about guests in the future. And what I'm looking forward to this week that I've been talking to back and forth is Wildstar. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this yet. It's a really neat game. Uh, NCSoft's long-in-development MMO. It's by Carbine Studios. Uh, Wildstar is... Let me read the description for you here. Just to let the listening audience know, the, she has a screenshot from this uh, game as her uh, background on her computer. <laughs> yes, I do. And it's also my icon on Skype, so that should tell you how excited I am about this game. Um, the premise well, is... just like her. <laughs> if I was a rabbit. Um, Wildstar is set on Nexus, the home planet of a race called the Elden. They're the most powerful beings in the known galaxy, dominating through their advanced magic and technology. Dominating, that is, until they suddenly disappeared. Races from all corners of the galaxy are rushing to the Elden homeworld to stake their claim and uncover the mysteries that shroud the planet. Wildstar is the future fantasy MMORPG where players can make their mark as explorers, soldiers, scientists, or settlers, and lay claim to the mysterious planet on the edge of known space. Whichever path you choose, your personal tale will reveal incredible secrets and unlock an epic adventure that rivals the best standalone and multiplayer RPGs. A dark and mysterious power threatens to corrupt all life on the planet. They say that this has kind of a Firefly vibe to it. Um, it's also very funny, and I definitely recommend that you view the trailer, which I found just as good as any 3D movie that I've seen uh, that's animated, really, in the movie theater. Um, I thought that it was a movie when I first saw it, because it's that good. Um, really awesome, and I'll have a link for that as well. And looking forward to talking to Wildstar in the next week or two, so... It was a beautiful trailer. Absolutely beautiful trailer. And just the, if, if they can get the scale of some of those creatures that they were fighting, uh, in the trailer into the actual game, that'll be amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really neat. I mean, the graphics are neat. It looks like an animated feature. It's a lot of purple colors, a lot of blue colors. Um, Wally, I think Wally kind of reminds me of a little bit in some ways. Um, that movie, just mm-hmm. the look of it. So I want to see the actual game is as good as the trailer. So it'll be neat. 
Uh, now, something that takes us back to Lord of the Rings Online again is the idea of transmogrification. Um, Lord of the Rings has long allowed you to see items that you don't actually use when you look at your character, and the stats don't affect the actual items that you have equipped. So let's define this first before we get too far into it. Um, transmogrification is to change in appearance or form, especially strangely or grotesquely. Uh, visiting a transmogrifier will present players with a new interface that will allow them to change the appearance of an item while retaining its original stats. This will become available in World of Warcraft Patch 4.3, which I am totally looking forward to. And uh, now, like Lord of the Rings Online, we will have this awesome ability to change our appearance for vanity's sake in World of the Warcraft. So I want to go over some of the rules for this, because uh, you'd just go crazy if you didn't have any rules. The rules are some of the obvious stuff. Uh, a character must be able to equip those items. So, you know... I won't be able to use the really awesome axes that I'd like to because I'm a dagger-wielding rogue. And I can't make my daggers look like axes, although that would be kind of cool. Um, only uncommons, basically anything except white can be transmogrified. And they're still actually talking about white if you, if a white item or just a regular item, if you, uh, enchant it in some way, does it become transmogrifiable? Um, that is still not clear yet. But, so for now, only uncommon green, blue, or purple items can be done. Uh, items must have the same armor type. In other words, um, if you're a priest, you can't run around um, in plate, uh, the appearance of plate. You have to stay cloth for cloth, leather for leather, obvious stuff like that. Some of this stuff is just too obvious to even read, like guns can only be guns. Well, we know that. Uh, using an item for transmogrify makes it soulbound. Pretty obvious, you would think. Non-refundable, again, obvious, non-tradable. Uh, heirlooms and account-bound items can be used to transmogrify, which is pretty awesome. But legendaries cannot. I guess... Boo. I know. Boo. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Boo. I guess legendary items probably get a lot of attention from the devs. Boo. So they figured they made them that way. They look that way. They want you to keep them that way. That's my guess. Well, it, it, it takes so long to try and find them, let alone get them, that if you have them, they're still rare. It's not something that someone can go out and buy or... You know, they can still farm, but that raid can only happen once a week. So if they've got it, but one of the nice parts about these legendaries is, especially for a rogue, the legendaries are really the only items which um, equip and unequip onto and off the back. So if you want, instead of having yeah, your sword slung at the side or your dagger slung at the side, you've got this big, beautiful, well-detailed weapon that, you know, an artist definitely took some time to do. Um that you can't use now. Well, you can't see it because it's on your side. <laughs> it is nice when they go across your back. You can at least get a good look at it while you're running around and and things like that. But, you know, 4.3, the new legendary daggers are going to be available for rogues. So if you want a dagger, perhaps these will cross over your back. And well, they also turn you into a bat or make you have wings. <laughs> We're not quite sure what they do, but you have wings and, you're, and your armor makes you look like Batman, so they say. I, I have one item that I'm sat, sadly uh, holding on to for this very day of uh, the 4.03 patch, and that is a mace item called Yesterday's Mutton, or last month's mutton, actually. And back in the day when I was a mace rogue, um, I got this from Dark Moon Fair. It's a purple item, 
and so therefore I should be able to make uh, maces, if I ever go back to using those, look like two large haunches of meat. <laughs> nice! Well, you know, they do have the option, which they have not given clear definition if they're going to allow or not, what they call silly transmogs, which will be items like, you know, the giant fish uh, that you can catch that whatever, it's a two-pound fish or something like that, mm-hmm. could that be used to transmogrify and make your weapon look like a giant fish? Can you wear some of the silly hats and different outfits that are just ridiculous? Okay. And they're, they're saying right now no no for the fish, but this is a fully statted actual combat item. Okay. Huh. Do so. you want to run around looking like you're carrying haunches of meat? There are just times where people punt the gnomes enough <laughs> that I'd like to whip out two feet, you know, and, and use them to... You know, in in their own visual representation, beat the snot out of someone in PvP with it. <laughs> I beat you with my haunch of meat. Mm-hmm. Well, what I do like about this, other than the fact that um, I'm just going crazy with the vanity options here, um, is that I think it's going to give a little bit of new life into some of these old dungeons and raids that have been long abandoned because everybody doesn't need that tier gear anymore or there's nothing else to be gotten out of it except for an achievement like your very favorite Alduar. I would mm-hmm. love to go back and do a 25 man Alduar now just so I can get the Fang of Oblivion dagger which looks like a dagger made of constellations and use that for transmogrifying. How beautiful would that be? And I think people are be- going to begin to really want certain items that were you know, well done for their day and kind of you know, been basically obsolete for the last few years and go back and do some of these old things, which uh, nobody's run in a long time. So I'm hoping that uh, we have some groups going out to do some uh, dungeons and raids that I haven't really seen in a, lo- in a while. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for those of those of us who are uh, Star Wars minded, uh, there are very few uh, swords in the game that actually have a light blade component to them. One of them is uh, the second weapon that uh, gnomes get in their new starting area. There's a few others scattered about the world, but I happen to have uh, one or two of those in my bag, so I'm looking forward to those, along with the fact of maybe being able to finish out some faction for some of these other raids, since they'll tend to be going out more, such as AQ-40. Yes, definitely so. I also like that the enchantments do show on the transmogged item, even if they are not the actual item that's transmogged, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can change the appearance a little bit by adding flair, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of World of Warcraft, we ran the Firelands dungeon the other day. Uh, pretty much got to to Bethalak. Uh, not much further than that. The first boss, the spider boss, across the Molten Plains. Um, it was fun. I'm, we've never been in there before. At least I've never been in there. And just kind of seeing you know, what it looked like and getting a chance... At the boss was really fun, and the Avengers of Hydro faction, a quarter of my bar full, was also excellent, because I definitely need to visit those vendors. Um, so, what did you think about that? Well, it's it looks like it's a very fun zone. Um, a lot of people are saying it's extremely easy, and uh, this is my first time in as well, and I'm not the sort that likes to get uh, taken to school all that often, and Beth yeah, Black was spent. definitely... <laughs> Oh, yeah, we got spanked pretty bad. But um, it looks like there's a bunch of mechanics there that I would really like to get further in, go back in, try it a few more times, get some of these bosses down. It doesn't seem like quite the slog that ICC was to get through. Mm-hmm. 
but at the same time, you need to have a definite uh, sense of precision for your what your characters are doing and what you're doing, and not a lot of hand-holding. Um, yeah, it was very frustrating to be on the drones and then have all the little um, spiderlings, like, healing them up, you know, after you beat them down. <laughs> that was very oh. frustrating. At least somebody down on the bottom was getting healing, even if it was the boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we shall Critters. not speak of it. Mm. <laughs> all right, before we get into Deus Ex, which I definitely want to talk to you about, uh, let's talk about Skaggy the Poet, who has a segment for us today. And, uh, you know, Skaggy, I loved this poem. I thought this was excellently done. It depressed me until the end, and that's what I like about you, Skaggy, is that you have a surprising sense of humor. So let's hear uh, Skaggy the Poet's Get the Girl segment, and uh, take it away, Skaggy. Hello there and welcome to episode 2 of Get the Girl, Kill the Baddies and Save the Entire Planet. Gaming poetry, proudly hosted, I hope, by the Grey Area Podcast, thanks Jen, uh, with me, Skaggy the Poet. This week's poem is inspired, as a lot of my poetry is, by conversations I've had with friends in the pub. This time, we were trying to uh, cast our minds back to games. Uh, Games in particular that we used to play, uh, where ageing actually figured. Because we couldn't really think of many. I mean, you can probably name a couple of ones or twos off your head, but I'm talking uh, pencil and paper here, where your characters actually got older and it affected them. And the only thing we could think of was, uh, I think it was Traveller, where when you were generating your characters, they used to get older and older, and eventually you could actually die during character generation. Anyway, cut a long story short, I thought, video game characters never really age. What if they did? She oh so slowly approaches her target, noticing it does not seem to be guarded, yet. Over the years, she has now learnt caution, as well as how to put on a support stocking. And now she can just about see where the treasure sits, so she tries to quickly reach to claim it. But her swollen fingers fail to grasp the treasure which knocked falls past, her bloodshot eyes that just want her shut. But now being so close, she won't give up. And having no time to be choosy, from a trolley she selects her favourite oozy. Then her vision mists as she remembers past glories, imagining this adventure becoming a famous story. And while her one hand turns her hearing aid down, the other guides her Uzi, which guns down deadly yet endangered creatures, really only bottles, packets and other shop features. Then when her bullets at last run out, back to reality she comes crashing down, and only when she turns her hearing aid back up does she notice all the chaos and fuss that she has caused at her local chemist, trying to collect her rheumatism medicine. And an assistant, barely suppressing a shiver, says politely, Miss Croft, you know we can deliver. So there we go, hope you enjoyed that. Back in a couple of weeks with another. Got any ideas for poems? Um, Send Jen 
align with them or send me an email at skaggythepoet at aol.co.uk Why not pop along to my poetry blog skaggythepoet at wordpress to read more of my <clears throat> rather good poems if I do say so myself. Until we meet again, toodle pip. A thank you to Skaggy the Poet. And now let's review Deus Ex a little bit. Um, I've talked before about my personal views of Deus Ex and my issues with targeting tiny little pinprick uh, shooters, but, you know, that is my own lack, and a lot of people really love this game, and I'm interested to hear what you think, because I don't think you've finished it quite yet, have you? Nope, I'm probably a third through it uh, at this point in time, but I am in such a comfort level and enjoyment level, well, boss encounters aside, um, with this game that it, it's brought me all the way back to 2000, 2001 when the first Deus Ex game came out. They've, they've really done a lot of work to get this, not as a game that just simply bears the name, but actually takes the homage and expands on that universe and says, here is a game that you could put in front of the 2001 game and have it make sense like there there are names in there that i'm hearing that i'm going wow these people are in that follow-up game is this yeah. it, it was it was neat for me to see somewhat of the start of these characters that i would go back in and play in the first deus ex well give us a little bit of the premise here so what you're saying is this deus ex takes place before the original what's the story um, the story is you are a security guard and uh, your girlfriend has some um, medical, well... Your sort of girlfriend. <sighs> your implied past relationship. Well, she, 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 she's your implied girlfriend. Later on it becomes clear that she was. Um, but he's rather, this guy is rather stoic. Um, but she's got some, um, history breaking medical news that she's going to be presenting to, um, some people in Washington. And basically things get turned upside down. And the lead character, uh, Jensen, gets, um, fully augmented out. And you go off chasing, uh, both shadows and actual, uh, people that you're looking for. Did you ever get the chance to dip into the first game yet? No, I got. I know you got me all three, and uh, I, I did not get a chance to play that yet. But again, it's there. Steam cries out to be actually loaded again. So I, I will play it. Um, and, you know, don't get upset at the ba- Bastion. I could hear you very far away when I... Um, interviewed Greg Kasavin, and he said that he, he found that the original Deus Ex was perhaps not having the continuity of being awesome the entire way through, just certain sections awesome. I could hear you scream, like, in my mind. I, 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 hear, I hear nothing. All I hear is his wonderful review that, boss encounters aside, Deus Ex Human Revolution is a 19 out of 10 score. And that it's absolutely <laughs> wonderful and that he properly bows his head and it gives thanks to the fact that they released it. Boss encounters aside. <laughs> what is with the boss Enjoyment. encounter section? What's with that? 
Give the, me the reasoning that the boss encounters do not fall under the list of awesomeness. The, Are they extremely difficult? What's happening? No, the game company that made the game contracted out the boss encounters to another You're kidding. Um, company. And to say that they are a disjarring mass of what the heck is sort of like saying that Lady Gaga in her uh, egg costume is going to teach kindergarten. It's the, <laughs> this makes no sense. Um, they are extremely disjointed. They don't fit within the realm of the game. It's also a... Uh, very impairing in terms of you can play your character to a certain point, like you could be very stealthy and go in for the stealth kills. But pretty much these so far, the boss encounters, um, I've been in two, they seem to be just run and gun, and you better hope that you have enough ammo because uh, you may find a shotgun shell here or there, but that's not really going to do much when you have a robot chasing you down. And, oh... The robot is guarding a room where there's a missile launcher inside, but you have no way of knowing that there's something in there because you haven't been able to explore the area because your stealth is now invalid due to having this encounter. <laughs> Thank you, CheatsHappen.com, for your trainer in those instances. <laughs> um, but if, if you play the first game, uh, targeting reticule aside you get an idea that you are dumped at the absolute tip-top of a mountain or uh, the iceberg poking out of the water. But to you, it's the flattest, broadest plateau. And then just the world falls out underneath your feet and you're sent on this path of conspiracies. Or you think you're on this path of conspiracies and you're actually on the plateau, but you just don't know where things are going. But this game is doing that aspect very well. It sort of presents you in a logical sense of, I need to go do A, B, and C, but they make the sense of it. However, are you being a patsy? Um, are your dialogue options sort of in a mass effect? Taking portions of the game away from you, unlocking them, modifying them. It, there's, you you play the game and you get the sense that there's four or five other games going on around you. It's sort of like if you could peel back the dimensional layers on things, you'd see your character doing something else, and you don't know when or if that shoe is going to drop to be the aha moment or if it's just a red herring. Okay. But there's 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 just something with this game that if you like stealth or you like running and gunning but you like the story it's it's for me and i don't mean any insult to mass effect but mass effect one and especially two are echoes of that deus ex story where there there's a definite nod back so if you like those games um if you can handle the older graphics you know, it, 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 it's a beautiful pairing together, especially like when you fire up the game and the first thing you get is this Deus Ex music and it is almost perfect. Not not like a ripped copy of the first game, mm -hmm. but just it's that own sort of life where it's even like they, they've taken the 2000, 2001 sound quality and made it even <laughs> a little bit less than that. So like even the music could 
be a beginning story that eventually grows into the first Deus Ex music, oh, but it is it is just beautiful. It's it's the nobody should talk to you. You plunk the headphones <laughs> on, and you ignore the clock. And it's Friday night. You've just gotten home from work. Don't bug you until you f- you're done and finished and played through it three or four more times. It, it is a beautiful game. It has some errors. It's got some bugs. The developer has been push- pushing patches like crazy. And in this case, they haven't done something that has been like, wow, you got your hand smacked so hard doing something that you've broken the game to compensate. It's like everything is like these little twists and tweaks and stuff, but you don't feel like suddenly your stealth character or your action muscly, you know, brawler character is broken and you've got to start again. It's all kind of stuff in back and behind, but you can play this as almost a sandboxy type game, but there definitely are corridors that, you know, they, they'd like you to follow. Okay. It, 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 it was so worth the wait that I'm actually regretting the percentage count that I'm getting towards 100%. <laughs> wow. I, I think I need to get the trainer if it's that awesome. It's funny that you compare it a little bit to Mass Effect because that's how it struck me. Uh, I felt like the topography and the look of, especially the beginning area um, in the medical facility, uh, kind of really reminded me of Mass Effect just graphically, um, like I said, the topography, the colors, um, some of the like glows on the wall um, nameplates and things. Just there was a lot of, I think. This in in this this ca- in the case of this game, this is a case where the game itself looks better than the motion video that they have in for cutscenes because you've got this bright, vibrant color, and then it gets a little muddied when they go to the video. Oh, really? Yeah, I, yeah. I haven't gotten far enough in to really make that comparison. I, I didn't feel that I was... When I looked at it, I wasn't like, oh, that's a real person. I didn't feel that level of um, graphic quality. I was still aware I was in a game. I could see... Uh, you know, I was aware that it was a game. But I haven't gotten to any cutscenes really, and I haven't gotten to cinematics. So cinematics are kind of where it's at. We'll have to one, see. One thing that the first game in this game is actually doing good at is posture. If you you know you're dealing with a computer item, generated item, but it has posture, or it's moving, or it's it's tossing a ball, a baseball up and down in its hand, or it's looking worried. That that sense of bel- suspension of disbelief that you get in sort of watching a movie um, is coming about into this as well. But, you know, there's the character relationship aspects, and it's just, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I think I need to play it again now and perhaps cheat a little bit so I can get to the story, because for the games like that and and things like um, Fallout Las Vegas and stuff, I don't really worry that my aptitude is up to par. I just kind of want to see the content, and it doesn't but, really ne- matter necessarily to me if I have a little um, invincibility to help me out with that. Well, and it's, it's also like Mass Effect, and that Mass Effect and, and Dragon Age and Fallout doesn't beat you over the head with, this is an item, stupid. This is a plot item, stupid. You know, they, they, they highlight items you can pick up, but in that first area, spoiler alert, I'm sure you, most people will know this, 
but it took me a couple play times through because I was going back and reworking my character. So um, I reload back. I could never figure out why in the first area I couldn't save the hostages. Well, these guys are talking about a bomb. I could never find the bomb. I admittedly never really bothered to look for the bomb, but I'm realizing now if I go back through, maybe I should find the bomb. That part of the story is different. How will my choices affect greater portions of the story? So it, it, it's neat how they're kind of like, yeah, there could be a bomb somewhere around here if you want. Or <laughs> <boom."> <laughs> well, there was such a sense of urgency. Like the alarms are going off and they're yelling at you to move. And it kind of throws me a little bit. Like I don't take the time to perhaps look around and, you know, see the desks and see if there's things I can pick up and things because I'm just panicking to get in the elevator, you know? Yeah, and in, in these sorts of games for the tutorials, and in this game especially, you can go around and there's stuff to loot and, you know, you'll, you'll find a weapon here and there and bits and pieces and, and, and you can think about it. And yes, it, it's this harried thing, but you sort of put yourself in this stoic mindset of the security guard that, okay, look, he's getting from point A to point unknown, but he's there to rescue the girl, etc., etc., etc. But if you take the time to explore, and this is this, this game wants you in everyone's desk, it wants you in every computer terminal, it wants you looking through things um, because there's a lot of interactivity where you can get different stories. Like you can get you hack someone's computer, you can find out that their girlfriend is an undercover cop who's playing a hooker, and you know he's trying to make a joke of hey he wants to go on a date with her, but he's not trying to make it sound like hey you go stand out in the corner. I'll roll up and you know, role play that. So you you get the you get the sense that it, there's the storyline, but then there's these characters, and then as you get more and more into some of these character blurbs, you're more willing to look at the next person that comes walking by in some of the major areas, maybe not on the streets, um, but you're kind of wondering what they're going to do because you don't know if the person rummaging through the trash is just seen NPC number six. Or if you talk to him, he may actually have something for you, but he's just not marked. Oh, okay. So it does reward those who are thorough. Oh, yes. Excellent. Okay, we're getting close to closing here. Is there anything you wanted to say on any of the topics we talk about above or any of the news that we were talking about? Uh, don't forget that you have until October 6th for uh, Brewfest. If you are a World of Warcraft player still looking for your 310 speed uh, mount for free, and um, if you happen to see either a warlock or a DK acting like a rogue, um, that's probably me. Please do not kick me from the group. I will eventually realize that I am on my alt, not my rogue. <laughs> nice. Very nice. I guess I should mention, um, perhaps that it should go in the news, but I think everybody pretty much knows this already, that Star Wars The Old Republic uh, is launching December 20th. Um, and in Europe, December 22nd, I think everyone knows, and uh, has been emailed by their pre-ordered people um, to be told that. So the question is, uh, do you think if you've pre-ordered that that means that we'll get to play in November, or do you think that we're still stuck until like the 1st of December? I kind of think that we're, we'll get a toss choice. Um you know, to go in before the um, start ahead group, we're definitely going to be in that at most advanced start ahead group because we're doing the um, that super collector's edition. But 
I'm kind of thinking that they're going to need such um, a pressure test on their servers that they're going to have to open up the floodgates closer to, say, the 10th of October and really push that because of the lead time on equipment mm. just to make sure because even if they get, say, 10,000, sorry, 10 million players for the first month to try it out, they still need to be able to handle that even if the count drops off. Well, it's on. an odd release date, is it not? I mean, I, I understand uh, Christmas, you know, everyone's going to have off probably the week, you know, December 25th through, you know, the new year, but why release it on the 22nd? It seems like an odd choice. Well, if, if they're coming out on the 20th for the U.S. or the 22nd overseas, you know, they're tapping into that last minute um, gift. Holiday, holiday gift, but they're also, since they've been doing the pre-order for so long, They've already sort of secured some of that holiday funding because now you at least know where your where your money is is going to, but it's the sort of perfect time because people take vacations during that. There's you know a number of three and four day holiday weekends. There's people are more apt to relax and actually take the eight, nine, ten. Oops, I've just spent an entire day playing, getting into it instead of going. Wow, I've only got three hours, and I got to go to sleep because I got to get up for work. <laughs> you know, kind of mentality. If they want, if if they want that Bioware immersion where you are the tea bag being dunked in and out of the hot, you know, goodness of this game, they're going to want you to focus and get out of that newbie area and get in there and get invested in your character because the more invested you get in your character, the less time you're going to notice until oh wait your subscription comes up. Yes, I will throw money at that subscription. <laughs> Good, you know. By the way, go Imperial. Mm. <laughs> We shall see. We shall see. I have not decided these kind of critical decisions yet. I have to ponder them. Imperial agent, I shall be the smallest percentile. I shall be a member of the smallest percentile uh, group so far pre-registered. <laughs> That's probably true. Mm -hmm. You're not a Jedi, and uh, you're not Alliance, so there you go. Well, until they can make Jedis as, as rogues and um, allow me to do my usual thing, I shall have to look at the rogue, other rogue classes fondly and laugh at the people with uh, light sticks. <laughs> okay. Uh, a big thank you to Tinzian. And you can find him on Twitter at Tinzian, T-I-N-Z-I-E-N. Uh, if you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships, or just need a new perspective, email me your questions, advice, or suggestions to Gray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.